looking in Matthew chapter 13. He has just finished uh, one of the most profound sermons in all of history. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, if you know anything about Jesus, you've probably heard of that. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit and all those sayings that he had. But what's really neat is when Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about the wise man who built his house on a rock. And the whole purpose of that message is he's talking about those who listen to Jesus, lives will be changed because the ones who listen are actually acting on what Jesus says. And today he goes into more detail about that and what we are going to read. Now before we begin this passage, uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up. We're going to be going through and breaking this down for you. But the first thing that Jesus talks about in this passage is he goes out on a boat, which is very interesting Because at this time, there were crowds of people gathering around to uh, listen to this man, Jesus. When I was uh, in middle school, it was during the 1996 uh, Olympic Games in Atlanta. And I'll never forget this. Uh, I love basketball. For those of you uh, who know me, you know that. Um, And there was a player that I liked at the time was Grant Hill. And we were at the Olympic Village, and I remember looking over, and, you know, I see Grant Hill because he's like six foot seven, so you can actually see him. And there's this crowd of people who are just following him. And that is a good picture of what it must have looked like for those who are wanting to hear what Jesus was teaching. I mean, you couldn't even get to Jesus. There are that many people who are coming after him. So what Jesus did in this moment was he stepped out onto a boat, and he actually taught from the boat as everyone else was on the shore. Now, what's so cool about this is that we see that Jesus sat down and talked to them beside the lake. You know, there are times where Jesus was in the synagogue. I mean, he was in your face. He was, he was going at it. But there are other times where he was sitting down and he was just talking to you. And he was just communicating and, and having somewhat of a dialogue with the people who were with him. And the other thing that's so amazing about that is it shows the, the, the character of who he is. Because what we know about Jesus is that he's 100% man, but he's also 100% God. And one of the mysteries that we see is that Jesus left his throne. I mean, he left it all so that he could come and live and be us. And what we see is even in his speaking, he showed that he was willing to sit down and to just talk to the people that he was with. So he goes on and he, he continues to talk to them and he, and he talks to them, to them about, about listening. Now, listening is something that any coach, any teacher loves from their athletes and from their students because those who listen are actually going to get uh, the, the message that is being presented to them. Now, I was a hearer oftentimes in school. I heard it, and I I heard the murmuring going on from the teacher's mouth, but I didn't listen as much. That is why they make me sit on the front row, and that is why I make myself sit on the front row today. So when you see me down here, it's it's because I have, like, ADD or something like that, and so I've got to be able to pay attention. And so the teachers would often be like, Matthew, I wish you would just listen to me. I'm like, what? And so... They would, uh, they would often say that with me. And so what Jesus is saying in this passage is that we must listen to him. Because when we listen is when change happens. When we listen, that is when we are transformed and we actually do what the person who is teaching us is telling us to do. Now, what Jesus taught in this passage was a parable. This was a, a type of teaching that was introduced um, from Jesus to those that he was teaching. And what it simply is, it's a story to help uh, somebody understand the point. 
I know for me, when I was in, in, in high school, when we were going over plays um, in, for our basketball, we would be back behind uh, in, in the locker room. Coach would be drawing it out on the board, and then we'd get out there, and he'd make me run through the plays. And I, I hated it when he called me first because I'm sitting there like, oh, man, because I, I was not paying attention. And so I, I had to actually walk through the plays before I really understood it. And so what Jesus is doing, in essence, is the parable allows us mentally to walk through the plays, allows us to walk through what he is telling us so that we can better understand it, so that we can better learn it. And so that is what Jesus has done as he's setting up this parable. And so that is where we are today as we go in more depth to what Jesus is teaching. So I'm going to begin with what he was talking about. And so we can look over here and we can see. Jesus said this, He said, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted up quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Jesus said this, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Now, his disciples were talking to him, and they're like, okay, Jesus, you know, that's great, good story, but could you explain that a little bit more in depth? And so Jesus then goes on, and I love when he does this in Scripture, like he, he explains what he's teaching, so you're like, oh, yes. And so Jesus goes on, and he explains this later down in the passage in verses 18 through 23. He said, now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seed. He said, the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell on the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, and no fruit is produced. And then he says, the seed that fell on the good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest that is 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. There's a couple key things that you need to understand as we go into this passage. The first one is this, and if you're taking notes, this is good to write down. One, the field. The field represents the world. It represents everything around us. The other thing is this. The seed that is being planted is the word of God. So literally in this passage, what Jesus is teaching is what is being planted. And he has also given us his word, the Bible, that is God's holy word that he has given us and he is planting into our lives so that we can, we can produce a harvest. Now, the other is this, we need to look at Jesus because Jesus is the sower. So the person who's actually walking the fields and sowing the seed, that is Jesus. And then the last one is this, and this is where you really need to focus today, is that the soil represents the heart. The soil represents your heart. So each picture up here represents the heart of someone in this room. And what we have seen in this passage is that you could be going through thorns right now in your life. You also could be going through uh, having a, a, a lack of deep roots in your life. 
You also right now could be hardened towards the gospel, hardened towards Jesus. But then there's many here today that you are over here and your life is producing great fruit. But before we begin, you need to realize this. Don't assume that you're the good soil. Don't just assume that you're the good soil. See, if we're looking at this from a a statistical standpoint, um, we realize that one out of four is the good soil. So what that means is one out of four people in this room right now are the good soil. That 25% of the people in this world are the good soil. 25% get it. That is not a very big number, but God offers himself to all people, but yet our hearts can be hardened and turned from God. We see this with Pharaoh as uh, God gave him uh, Time after time, he gave him Moses to come and to tell him, hey, let my people go. And then we see the plagues that took place as Pharaoh's heart was hardened towards God. Our hearts are no different than Pharaoh. And the truth of the matter is everybody in this room, this has been us. This has been me. There are moments in my life that I reject God. Even the person who is trying to produce fruit, the person who is desiring God, there's still moments in our life that when God is telling us to do something, we harden our heart to Him. But the challenge is that our heart should be softened towards God and that we should listen to God. So the first parable that we see, the first seed that we see is is the footpath. It says that the ground was hardened. The reason why the ground was hardened was there's these, uh, these paths. They're about three feet wide, and, and they, would go from, uh, they would go from field to field planting these seeds. And so the person who was sowing, they would walk on the footpath. Now, the reason why it was hard is, is pretty simple. You probably figured it out, is because people were walking on it. If you keep uh, compacting dirt together, it's eventually going to get hard. Uh, If somebody was walking by, they may walk on this footpath to get from one place to the other. And so what ends up happening, because of the things that are are being trampled on the footpath, people, their heart is hardened towards God. See, that's no different than our own lives. As as we look to the world to help us, as we look to the things that that the world is trying to tell us to, to, to make us good, to make us a better person, in essence, what it's doing is just compacting harder and harder on our heart, and we begin to follow one way rather than God's way, and eventually our heart becomes hardened, and we don't allow the seed to be produced. Now, what happens to that seed when it's hardened? The Bible says the evil one comes and snatches it away. Jesus used the illustration of a crow coming and snatching the seed away, but what we know the crow to be through the passage is that that crow that comes and snatches the the, the word of God from our life is, is Satan. It's the devil. And it brings up a very good point because a lot of us, uh, we, we begin to follow Satan's way rather than our way because we've allowed our hearts to be hardened towards God. And so what ends up happening as a result, and this is something that's taken place oftentimes in the church, is we begin to believe a lie as truth. So in other words, if you, if you begin to, if you lie enough, you have a problem and you have a, a hard time differentiating between what is truth and what is not. I had a friend of mine, he was a pathological liar, he was on drugs for, for many years, and he 
did not establish what, what reality was. He, he could not establish a truth from a lie because he had lied so often. See, what happens is when we harden our hearts towards God, we begin to believe the lies that the world tells us, and we, believe, we begin to accept them as truth. It's as if we're putting in headphones and we're blocking out everything else that's going on around us. I know for me, when I study, I like to listen to music. The reason why is I don't have to listen to everybody else. When our heart is hardened, it's as if we're purposely putting in those headphones and we're blocking out everything that is going on around us. And as a result, we end up believing those lies to be truth in our life. A perfect example of that is a man that we all know, and that is Hitler. You know, Hitler really believed that what he was doing was good. He thought that he was going to wipe away uh, the, the race of people that he thought was, was just scum and that he was going to bring together this, this great race of people, this perfect race. And, and as a result, there was mass genocide that took place. About 12 to 13 million Jews were, were killed as a result of the Holocaust. And what happened for Hitler was he believed that lie so much in his heart that it became truth to him. And it influenced everything that he did. The fear is that that is what happens to us when we don't soften our heart to the gospel. The other is this. Now, this looks like a really beautiful stream, but it's actually limestone. And so in Israel, you had a limestone in a lot of places underneath this, this soil. It looked like it was fertile, but it went down several inches. And then there was a limestone, just this thick rock that prevented the roots from growing. So what ended up happening was, instead of the roots growing down into the ground, the tree would produce up, and it would look really good, and it would look nice, it would look satisfying, but what ended up happening is because it it had no roots, the sun would wither it away and it would die. Now, I, I like this tree. I like this tree because I really think that it sets a good example for us from what I have been raised in, and that is the, the Southern Bible Belt Christian culture. Because I truly believe there's a lot of us, we come in and you know what, we can wear our nice shirt, we can put on our our nice church pants, and we can walk in, and we can look good, and we can look sexy for Jesus. You know, if I can even say that. But that is what ends up happening, but as a result, we have no roots in our life. So what's really going on is we are putting on a facade, and we are walking around as, as fake individuals for the gospel. I mean, we know that when, when James plays, lift my hands open wide, let the whole world see. Okay, I can do that. You know, we, we can do that. We can, oh, I, I can read, so let me read those words, and, and that'll look, and that'll show that I'm, I'm worshiping. You can even pull out your Bible, and you can take notes, but they mean nothing if you're not allowing it to really ingrain your heart. And so the fear is what happens is we don't have deep roots, and we are, that those roots are shown when persecution takes place. Listen to what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6. It talks about that we are to stand firm on God. It says stand firm in the strength of his might. The Bible tells us to put on the full armor of God because we are in a battle. Now this is something that we don't really talk about that much in church because we don't really like to think about the supernatural that is taking place right now around us. But the Bible says that there is a battle that is going on around us right now. And that battle is not against the person next to you. 
It's not a battle with your, your siblings. It's not a battle with your parents. The Bible says it's not a battle against flesh and blood, but it's a battle against the principalities of darkness, the evil forces that are influenced by Satan himself. It is his army of demons, and they're out there, and they want nothing more than to take us down. When Paul wrote this passage in Ephesians, he was alluding uh, a passage in Samuel, in 1 Samuel, that involved David. Now, David, for those of you who know, he was the great king of Israel, but this passage was written uh, prior to him becoming king. And what happened was he was out with his mighty men, and they were out you know, doing their battle, and they came home. Now, men, you can probably relate to, to how David felt. Because when David comes home, he finds out that his wife and, and kids aren't there. Now, immediate reaction is freedom, you know, but that was not what was taking place because these people, the Amalekites, came in. And they took David's wife, they took his children, they took all of the wives and all of the children in this town where they were living. It was these bandits. What did they want to do? They wanted to destroy them. Who were they trying to destroy? They were trying to destroy David and his mighty men, and they knew that if they went in and they got the things that he loved the most, that they could knock him down. Naturally, men, this is what we would want to do. We would want to march in and grab their face and just cram them down into a concrete block and watch them just die. I mean, let's just be honest for a second. I mean, we would want to get our revenge. I think that is the the natural reaction of, of man protecting his wife and protecting their children. But what did David do? The passage says that he stopped and he prayed. You know, I find that very interesting because how we stand firm in God's word is not like this. But it's like this. And what David did was he humbled himself and he asked God, what should I do? Now God told him, go get him. But he sought God's guidance and he sought God's wisdom first. See, that is what we are supposed to do. That is how we grow deep roots. It's by humbling ourselves before an almighty God. And allowing him to enrich our lives and to grow those roots deep into the ground so that we can stand firm when those attacks take place. As I was reading this passage, I was thinking about persecution because this passage does talk about when persecution comes. And I was thinking about what we call persecution in America. And I was really having a hard time with it because I I really don't feel like we totally understand persecution. You know, we see sickness as, as persecution. We see uh, what's taking place with the, the media. We see uh, forms of socialism trying to be influenced into government and things of that nature. We see that and we say, oh, that's persecution that's taking place. See, what I call that really, and though those things are a form of persecution, those are more of a form of, of cultural bullying. It's more of a cultural bullying that is taking place in our lives. See, because when we look at persecution, the ends of persecution, according to what the Scripture tells us, is death. And that form of death is a very brutal form of death. Many people uh, in, in church history, they had hot wax poured on them. Many people were burned at the stake. Many people's heads were chopped off. Many people were crucified for their faith in Christ. And they considered it an honor to die in the same way for their Savior. Now look at Peter. Church legend says that he had to watch his wife and kids die 
before he was crucified. And he even said, I am not worthy to be crucified like my Savior, so crucify me upside down. Peter died for his faith. We look at that and we think, well, well, Matthew, that was way back when. That's not going on now. No, back in 2010, there was a group that, of, of Christians in Egypt. They went out to worship, and there was a group of radical Muslims that went and killed them because they were worshiping the true Almighty God, which is Jesus Christ. This is going on around the world, and we have to face the reality of it. And we have to allow that to be a gut check for our own faith to really say, if I was in that situation, what would I do? If I was in that situation, what would I do? But instead, we often allow the the personal persecution or the personal cultural bullying that is taking place here in America to to really crush the foundation of our beliefs. And this took place even this past week as we continue to look at the battle that is taking place uh, for the definition of marriage. I don't know if you've been reading the news, but in the Presbyterian Church, the PCUSA, they uh, voted and, and pretty much unanimously voted to uh, deem that they would start practicing same-sex marriages. The PCUSA, even within that group, listen to what God said in this passage. Listen to what this guy said. He stood up firm for his belief. He said, God will not be mocked. And those who substitute their own felt desires for God's unchangeable truth will not be found guiltless before a holy God. In other words, we cannot reconstruct what God's word has already said. And so we must stand firm even when the attacks come our way. We must stand firm in what God is saying. We must stand firm on his belief, what he has deemed holy, what he has deemed perfect, and we must stand firm. And here's the question I ask. How will you react to a fracture if you panic over a bruise? How will you react to a fracture if you panic over a bruise? In other words, when we look at persecution, and if, if the, the ends of persecution is a fracture, then how are we to endure that fracture when we as a culture, when we as a society, or what the society is trying to tell us, if we fall short and freak out over a bruise? We will then see our roots, and we will then see it crumble, and I don't want to crumble for falling short of what God has taught us to do. So we see that we must have a firm foundation. The other thing that we see is thorns that are taking place in our life. Now, the passage talks about that these thorns, uh, they come, and, and what happens is we, we grow, and you can see that there are deep roots in the thorns. And so for many of us, this is what's taking place in our own life. And we experience this day-to-day because what the thorns represent are the day-to-day uh, obstacles that we face in life. Now, it could be work, it could be sports, it could be a lot of different things. Now, those things are good, but what God wants us to do is to utilize them for His glory rather than our glory. And so we've got to understand that we can do that in those things. But what happens is when we begin to worship those things, it becomes idolatry. And then what happens is what thorns do is they suck the life out of you. A tree can't grow if there's thorns and weeds bringing it down. And so what happens is there's this battle that takes place. In Hebrews 12, it talks about that we are to lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us. And we are to focus on God, the author and instrument of our faith. And so we focus on Jesus, and he's the one who helps us get through that. I had a buddy of mine, he, was, uh, he shared at Getaway about the thorns, and he was talking about his father. 
Now, my buddy, he was a, a smart student. He actually graduated college in three years, good guy. And he had an opportunity to go to Clemson to do engineering on a full ride. Now, he felt God's call into ministry, and so he knew that that wasn't necessarily where he felt the Lord was wanting him to go, so he was obedient to that, and he went to North Greenville University. His father did not understand that. His father was actually angry at him for doing that. He saw that there was a great change that was taking place in his his son's life, and he became angry at God. And this is what he said. He said, God, you took my son from me. He said, if you are truly God, then take it all. He said, if you are truly God, then take it all. My friend's dad was a stockbroker. He was worth $30 million. The next day, he turned on the TV, and every stock he owned plummeted. He was now worth nothing. His self-worth was in his job. His self-worth was in his money, and he no longer had it. That day, he fell on his knees, and he said, God, you got my attention. I give my life to you. That is what can happen in our life when we are obedient to God. He can take those thorns from us, and we can begin to live with that freedom in our life. And see, that's what he wants from us. And that's why he ends with talking about this great tree that produces much fruit. Because this is who God wants us to be. And this is who God created us to be. And if we are obedient to him, then we will see that take place in our life. See, when we look at this tree, we have to understand something. We've got to look at it from an agricultural standpoint. Because in, in, in Israel, if a tree was a, a, an above-average tree, it would produce ten times more than what it was supposed to produce. Now, when we look at this passage, what does Jesus say? He says 30, 60, even 100 times more. In other words, when we give our lives to Christ is when we finally figure out our true potential, and God can do things to our lives that we can't even begin to imagine. But the question is, are we willing to let him? The question is, are we willing to let him do so? As we close today, I want you to look at these soils. Because I truly believe that these categories, and according to what Jesus said, they are a a, a reflection of our own hearts. And as we close, you've got to be honest with yourself. And I don't say this lightly because I truly believe that if we don't know Jesus, the end is not great. And it's not something that we want to to talk about because it really doesn't feel good. But the reality of it is, according to the scripture, if we die and we don't know Jesus, we do go to hell. And that is something that I truly believe. And that is why I speak with great passion. And that is why my heart goes out for everyone in this room and especially for these students that I endure so much with because I want them to know who Jesus is and that there is a better way and that there is a better life. And it's the life God intended for us. And so the question we have to ask ourselves when looking at this fruit to determine whether or not this is us is one am I actively pursuing Christ am I actively pursuing Christ 
And this doesn't mean that you're not going to have thorns in your life. This doesn't mean that your heart may not be hardened at times. It doesn't mean that sometimes you're going to find that you need deeper roots. But what it means is when you examine your own heart, is there a true desire to want to know Jesus more? Is there a true desire to pursue him, to be committed to him? Yesterday, my wife and I celebrated our one-year wedding anniversary. I'm still amazed that I actually uh, found someone as beautiful as her. And uh, Bryce always says, dude, you married up. And I'm like, yeah, man. I know. And that's like the greatest compliment that any guy can get is, you know, like you married up. I'm like, yeah, I'm ugly, but she's not. And so I, I did, I think I did a pretty good job. But with that, last night at dinner, we were talking about this past year. And one of the things that I've realized, and even more so as I, I deal with people in marriage, is that the bottom line is whether or not we are committed to each other. And are we committed to to growing together, to pursuing each other? Because there are going to be many fights, and believe me, there are many fights. And that is just something that comes with the relationship. But when it's all said and done, we're committed to each other. We're committed to grow, we're committed to pursue, and we're committed to love. See, we are going to have mishaps in our life, but are you committed to Christ? Are you committed to grow? Are you committed to pursuing him? The other is this, and this is something for all of us. Are people's lives changed as a result of knowing me? That's a personal question for you to ask yourself. In other words, because of what Jesus has done in your life, is your, is your office different? In other words, the people that maybe, uh, for those of you who have your own business, is, is it affecting those that are around you? For, for families, is it affecting your home? Is Jesus affecting your home in a good way? In other words, are you seeing fruit being produced in your home, in your life? And are others' lives changed as a result of knowing you? See, because the fear today is that if lives are not, and if you look at your life and you're saying, I'm not actively pursuing Christ, that, that doesn't mean that you can't be here. You may be one of these today, but God can change that. How? It's very simple. The song that we sang, I have decided to follow Jesus. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back. No turning back. To follow Christ is going forward. It's going forward following Jesus. It's giving our lives to Jesus. The Bible says that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But what we have got to realize is that we are this. But God can make us this. Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me, in my message, in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Today is an opportunity for you to surrender. It's an opportunity for you to follow Jesus, and it's an opportunity for you to do so without turning back. If that is you, and you know that you need Jesus, it's very simple. Just ask him to come into your life and to save you. Acknowledge that you are a sinner, that we have turned from God, but that we need him. 
and he can restore your home, he can restore your life, he can restore your marriage, he can restore your job, he can restore all of those things if you are willing to follow him. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be next year. But if you're willing to be committed, he is always committed to us. 